Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church in the Valley. I want to just say thank you to Eric, who's leading uh, worship this morning. Yesterday, he got a phone call saying, uh, worship leader is sick, and would you be willing to do it? And he took the phone call on a day's notice. So I really appreciate you, Eric, filling in for us. Uh, one of those things where sometimes you wake up on a day and you don't know quite what the day is going to hold. And uh, Eric, appreciate him doing that. I want to welcome you. We are wrapping up our message series today uh, called Suburban Myths. And we've been spending the last few weeks looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's written by a man named Solomon who took this book and the opportunity to kind of talk about what life is all about and draw some conclusions, make some evaluations and really, we've kind of been able to open up to his soul and the different things and the different explorations he had. He, he was a wise man, uh, spent part of his life really following God and wanting to obey him. And then he spent another part of his life not doing that and just trying to figure out life on his own. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is a mixed bag of those approaches. And what you find is he's trying to draw a conclusion about what it all is about based on how he thinks life works. And some of that is how it goes when you follow God and then how it goes when you don't follow God. And so the last few weeks we've been looking at, really, how do we make the most out of this life in spite of some of the frustrations? And if you've been here uh, throughout the whole series, you would have seen a lot of just this evaluation on how life is not what you think it's going to be many times. And how you think it's going to go and the predictions that you make and the conclusions that you draw. Oftentimes, when you step into things and things happen and circumstances in the relationships that you're in, they never quite go as you think. And it can be frustrating. And Solomon is writing this book out of kind of a lens of what life looks like and how frustrating that could be. And it kind of reminds me, have you ever tried to, to park in one of those spaces in your car and you realize... The angle you're going, it, it doesn't work. Uh, recently, this past week, I pulled into a parking structure looking for spots in my minivan. And a minivan is one of those things that you, you need ample space. And I sometimes drive it like I would like a truck driver. Like I think I need like three football fields to parallel park. I'm not a parallel park guy. I'm the guy that starts the parallel park and then cars wait. And then I get a little frustrated and I just go for that spot that's wide open. That's just me. I got to learn that. But part of what happens I was pulling into this spot and I realized there, there were no there were no spaces. And so I began down this really narrow parking structure to turn. And I realized I didn't really have the space to do a three point turn. You had that spot where like it's a three point turn. But before you know it, it's like a 16 point turn. That's what it was like. It was like and it was frustrating. And I, I started to get kind of like, OK, this. How much room do I have and, and the space? And, and I finally got out of there and it's like, I just, I just need to find a place to park. And I, I was frustrated and I wanted the three point turn. I didn't want the 16 point turn. And that's kind of the frustration that Solomon's talking about at life. We, we want certain things, certain angles, certain approaches to work. And when they don't work, it feels like we're just trying to narrowly get by in a small space. It, it doesn't work. And it's frustrating. And Solomon began this journey in the book of Ecclesiastes and where we started was asking the question, what's the point? Big picture question. What's the point of life? What's the meaning of it? What's the purpose behind it? Why are we here? And he started the book really in a raw state. And this is what he said. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all 
is vanity. And we talked about that word vanity. It's not something we use a lot, but it's this idea of it's like a mist. It's something that you try to get your hands around and it's like the wind. It's just not there. He's saying life is like that. You try to get a handle on how life works and it's frustrating. You try to kind of fit it into your grasp and as soon as you do, it's gone. You can't predict it like you want. The outcomes don't go as you hope they will. And he's just kind of venting in this spot. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at kind of the different conclusions he's made and the different approaches of life. And we've covered a lot of areas. Today, we're actually going to kind of have some bottom line conclusions that Solomon drew. And these conclusions are actually very helpful for life. And so he's been talking a lot about life, a lot about how it works, a lot about how it doesn't work. He's been just kind of asking us to observe, take some time, view life, take a look at life. Well, then he turns the corner as he tries to conclude, conclude his statements, as he tries to conclude what he thinks life is all about. And so today we kind of get a glimpse of some of those conclusions. And he's been telling us to look at life, look at life, look at life, look at life, observe, see, watch, observe, see, watch. And then he turns the corner. Instead of looking at life, he then says, look at death. If you want to know a lot about what life looks like, you look at death. Now, that doesn't seem like that would sell many T-shirts. Life has meaning. And then on the back, look at death. Like, not the most motivating idea. But what he's saying is, since life can be so frustrating... And since some of the things that we want to happen doesn't happen, sometimes when you look at death, it kind of boils it all down. It gets real. You get to see clearly there's clarity that can come from looking at life through some conclusions that you can draw about death. And so we're going to go on that journey today about how death really brings life into its proper perspective. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 He gives kind of this picture of how a lot can be learned about death. How death is actually something that you can embrace, you can learn a lot about. And this is what he says, chapter one of verse, or sorry, verse one of chapter seven. He says, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. You ever bought a greeting card for somebody like happy birthday But on the inside, it's like, you know, your day of death is better than your day of birth. Happy birthday. Here's a Starbucks card. Drown your sorrows in that. I mean, we don't make cards out of that. But he's saying, like, day of death is better than the day of birth. He's saying there's a certain clarity. There's a certain clarity that you have when it's all coming to an end. Then he goes on in verse 2. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of... Of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. He's saying when everything is is going well and you're feasting and you're enjoying life, you're not really thinking about what it's all about. You're in the moment. But when people are coping with the loss of somebody and the loss of life and the brevity of life, the things that are really important start to rise to the surface. 
And he's saying that when those things rise to the surface and people start talking about what life is really about, that's where you get clarity. And he goes on. Now, this is another just never seen this as a, as a card. Sorrow is better than laughter. Really? Do people pay to go see non-comedians make us cry? Like, I don't even know what that's called. Like, where are you going Friday night? You know, I'm, I'm going to go to the Mourn Club. It's just really depressing, and we all cry together. And I pay money for it. Right? We don't, we don't want to learn that. We want to laugh. We want to kind of forget our troubles. We want to be happy. We want to think happy thoughts. Be saying sorrow is, is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Again, when you are faced with the things that really matter in life, when you're faced with the shortness of what this life is and the fact that it's here and then it's gone, just like that, just like the mist he's talking about, in your heart you begin to ask the real questions, which is how he started. Why am I here? What's the point? What's the meaning? You don't ask that in the midst of laughter. You don't ask that in the midst of gladness. You actually ask that in the midst of pain and loss. So it's very upside down from what we would normally think. But he's saying this is where the meaning and the clarity of life, it comes to the top. And then he goes on in verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of mirth. Mirth is, is glee. So you want to learn about it? You want to learn about life? You go to the people that are dealing with loss. Listen to what they talk about. Listen to their evaluations. That's where you can learn a lot about life, whether good or bad. In verse 5, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Again, not what we think about. He's saying if someone actually gives you a sense of what you need to be doing versus what you are doing, that's better than someone that just sings a song to make you feel better about yourself. Again, Solomon is not pulling any punches. He's like, let's get real. Let's deal with the really matters. Let's deal with the things that actually count. Then he goes on, verse 6. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot. Sometimes when you read the scriptures, you think like, that's an experience I've never, I've actually never heard the crackling of thorns really under a pot. But I have heard like wood burning and popping. And he's saying that so is the laughter of the fools. This is also a vanity. You ever been around in a group and like, they're cracking up and they're laughing and they are just laughing and laughing and you're kind of on the outside looking in and you want to go kind of find out because you want some of the laughter. You want to experience kind of the glee that they're experiencing. And so you go up and they begin to talk to you and you're like, what are you guys laughing about? It's like, oh, it's just something that happened and it was like that person did that and they did that. And, and then you go and you're like, dude, what are you talking about? It's not funny. It's not funny at all. Like, you try to laugh, like, oh, that makes no sense. That's what Solomon is saying. A lot of times we laugh and we just are goofy about nothing. In fact, there's shows that have been made about that and made millions of dollars. But again, in the end, nothing is still... Nothing! Solomon is saying, what's the point of that? If you want to actually learn... You have to learn from the wise, not the fools. 
You have to find out what's really important. And you have to ask the right questions. And he's saying that death is the way that it does that. And we've been talking about myths over the course of the series. Belief assumptions that we have. The things that we think will get us what we want. Meaning, purpose, happiness. And what Solomon is saying is death, it's the great myth buster. Death is what brings it all into light. It's not about the power. It's not about the money. It's not about fulfillment. It's not about purpose. Death is what blows all of that apart. Because you find through death how little control you have. That's what Solomon is saying. Death shows us how little control we have. So Solomon is going back. He's kind of coming full circle. He's saying, I've taken you on this journey about people that try to make the most out of their life from the things that they try to control. The things that they try to do to make the most out of the relationships. The things that they try to do to make the most out of their life. But when it comes down to it, we all face death. And no matter what we try to control, death reveals how little control we have. That's where he brings us. For all of us, we fight for control. We want things to go a certain way. We want people to do certain things. We want our job to go a certain direction. We want our finances to help us in a certain way. We want our kids to grow up to be certain things. We want our spouse to relate to us in a certain way. And again, it's trying to fit things into our palms of our hands so we can control it. What he says is, death reveals how little control you have. Isn't that true? None of us know when death's going to come. That's what we sing about life. You can do certain things, but we all face the same end. So we have to be sure that we know what to focus on. And so he's kind of bringing us back. You have to make the most out of this life. And we all hear that life is short. Life is short. And that can become so cliche. But the idea of making the most out of this life, it actually deals with certain approaches that we have. Remember YOLO? Remember that? YOLO. You only live once. I mean, is that like a phrase of a generation? What are you doing? We're YOLOing. We're only living oncing. YOLO. Life's short. You only live once. That's right. All of us would agree. We only live once. That's right. Yes. YOLO. But in the name of YOLO, people do some crazy things. Thought about that? Like it's a great phrase. Great idea. Life's short. You only live once. Yes. So let's go have fun. YOLO. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, is a story of him taking that approach. He YOLO'd. He did. He created YOLO. He even knew it existed. That was his like idea. He said, I have all the money. I have all the power. I have the resources. I have wisdom. I only live once. YOLO! The book of Ecclesiastes is basically him saying that YOLO is crazo. 
I've been dying to say that like for a whole week. That's what he's saying. It doesn't make any sense. In the book of Ecclesiastes, a testament to that. We think you only live once, and that causes us to do certain things. But he's saying if that is your approach to life, you have to make the most of it to please yourself, to make yourself happy, to kind of just get everything you want in this short time that you have, you're going to miss it. The mist will come in and it will be gone. And that's where he's been taking us. His approach to yellow. The fact that it doesn't work. Death reminds us that we're not in control. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the different ways Solomon has showed us we try to control things. And he's been taking us kind of beyond these myths. Beyond these beliefs. Beyond these assumptions. Really, beyond the control that we try to have. And so we started with, there's an answer to every problem. When you try to answer every problem, you're really trying to control the unknown. Solomon concluded, you you can't. You can't control the unknown. It's unknown. That's one of the approaches we have. You only live once, so I'm going to control the unknown. It doesn't work. Solomon also wrote about doing what you want will make you happy. Pursuing your desires. Acting on your feelings. Feeling life is what he's saying. And that's really trying to control fulfillment. Solomon concluded, you can't control your own fulfillment. Lasting fulfillment doesn't come from just pursuing your desires. We looked at the idea of my work is my most valuable pursuit. That's really our attempt to control our value. How we appear. Solomon concluded, you you can't control your value. You value something that you don't create within yourself. Especially from the work of your hands. We looked at trying to get money and power to give me the the life that I want. And that's to control my empire. I want to control my legacy. I want to control my name. I want to control the things that I leave even after I'm gone. Solomon Kluge, you can't control your empire. You have riches, and then they're gone. You have power, and you power up over people, the very people that you want to do what you want, that they actually will no longer want to relate to you. So those relationships are gone. And then we talked last week about the idea of religion. That's really trying to control my purpose. It's the idea of we're not going to listen to God. We want him to listen to us. We want him to hear our ideas of how we fit into his world. Salman Kukuj, you can't do that. You can't control your purpose. Your purpose and your value and your worth and your fulfillment and your happiness, those flow from the one who made you, from God himself. And so Solomon has been bringing it all to this point. All the things, all the frustrations, all the things that he's been describing is vanity. It's here and then it's gone. He brings us to this point. Death reminds us we are not in control.
We may want to be in control. We may work to control others. We may work to control our circumstances. The bottom line is, death shows us we're not in control. So he brings us to this point where since we realize that the things that we try to have a tight grip on, we can't, and it just eludes us. He wants us to ask the questions. So what? So what do I do? If I can't control my life, my circumstances, and the people in it, then what do I do? So Solomon has been building this tension and building this tension and wants us to be frustrated. Wants us to realize the holes in our thinking. Wants us to realize the holes in our strategy. Wants us to realize the fact that we are trying to pull in to a three-point space, but it's going to take 16 turns. The fact of the matter when we realize that we cannot figure it out by ourselves, Solomon gets us. And he's, that's, that's where you need to be. Where you realize you can't figure it out by yourself. That's the so what. What do you do? When you can't figure it out by yourself. When your control doesn't work. And so he bottom lines it for us. He says, okay, now you're frustrated. Now I've taken you on this journey. Now you've seen the evaluations that I've made. Now you've seen the conclusions. Now I've had you look at death in light of life. And now you realize that just there's a sense in which it can be spinning at times. And we don't know our our senses, we don't know our bearings, and we can just feel lost and confused and frustrated. He says this. The only right focus is to fear God and obey Him. That's the bottom line. It's the only right focus. You want clarity, you want to be able to see past the blurs of life, the things that we don't understand, the things that we cannot control. You have to fear God and obey Him. I love the way this is written. This is in Ecclesiastes 12. So he's taken us on this journey, the ups and downs, the ins and outs, and he says this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. So he's basically saying, okay, I've said all this stuff. It's been a roller coaster. Thank you for hanging in with me. Thank you for letting me vent. Thank you for letting me just tell you all my frustrations. Thank you for... Entering into my world, my perspectives, all the things that I'm going through, all the things I'm thinking about. Boil it down. All has been heard. Okay, we've, we've done enough time talking about all this. And then he says this. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And he goes on. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So he's saying, I've let you know that you can pursue all these things and in the end, it's not going to get you what you want. But this is what I do know. If you fear God and you keep his commands, you are doing what you were created to do. The whole duty of man. It's the sense of there's lots of things that we can spend our energy on, our time on, our focus on, our resources on. Everything that we have, we can push to certain ends. What Solomon is saying is the only thing that matters 
is fearing God and keeping His commands. The idea there is you, you guard what He says. You want to do what He says. If God says life works a certain way, you agree that it works a certain way. And Solomon is saying, because you know what? I've discovered, I've tried to make all these conclusions about how I think life works, and I still can't figure it out. And it's still confusing, and it still doesn't make sense. Even in all his wisdom, he couldn't fit life into the box. Certain inputs with certain outcomes, he couldn't make it all work. So despite the frustration, fear God, keep his commandments. Keep watch over. I want to do what God says. And really fearing God is, is you take God seriously. You actually do believe he is the God that sees everything that we do. He knows all the thoughts that we have. He knows all our past. He knows our future. He knows everything. The things that we try to control he actually has control over. Even life and even death. That's his territory. So the whole duty of man is recognizing that in our attempt to be our little gods of our own little world, we have to recognize that he alone is God. He alone is in control. And he alone can actually show me the kind of life that I'm supposed to live. That's the bottom line. Fearing God, I trust His way works better than my way. And that's like a big concept, but at the same time, it has so little... We have implications we can make every day based on that. I'm going to trust what God says. So even if you go back to the myths that we've been talking about, trying to control certain outcomes, you find... That it deals with us on the day-to-day relationships, the day-to-day circumstances. It's not just a big idea, but it's something that practically applies to every area of our life every day. But we all have to choose what we fear. A guy said this, I like it. It says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. You know, I've actually experienced that myself. The times where I've just decided I'm not going to take God seriously and I'm going to do things in my own way, as I relate to the people in my life, as I determine what I'm going to do with my finances, as I determine how I'm going to spend my time, when I'm not fearing God, I'm fearing all of the unknown. I'm fearing all the things I can't control. May not outwardly, but inwardly, these are the things I'm thinking about. But when I'm fearing God, I'm letting God be God and be in control. And so it relieves me from the pressures of trying to do life my own way. That's what Solomon's drawing us toward. The book of Proverbs, if you've never read the book of Proverbs, this would be a good opportunity to do so. Because as we've been talking about Ecclesiastes and the frustrations and the ups and downs, Solomon also wrote Proverbs, which are basically the wise approach to life. And so as he boiled it down, it's, it's about fearing God and keeping his commands, it's about fearing God and obeying him. He says this in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools, they despise 
They despise it. They, they, don't, they don't want to know how life works. They don't want to do life God's way. This idea of it's the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's like you're in a tunnel and you know you need to head that way and you see a little bit of a light. But you don't know if you're going to get to the end. And your air is running out and your strength is draining. And you see the little light. And you keep burrowing through the tunnel. You keep burrowing through the tunnel. You keep burrowing through the tunnel. I'm going to get there. 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 And your oxygen is running out. And you feel like you can't go on. All of a sudden you get to the end. And you break through. And you're in the light. And you have oxygen. And you made it out of the tunnel. The fear of the Lord is that breakthrough point. It's the point in which despite the things you don't know, despite the things that you don't understand, you recognize there's a point in which you trust God and you're going to allow Him to bring you to the point where it's the beginning of knowledge. Things are going to begin to make sense. But when we approach God many times, we want it to make sense before we trust God. We want to know what he's doing and how he works before we've decided to actually trust him. It doesn't work like that. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning of things making sense. And what Solomon is saying there is, is really you don't experience understanding unless you're actually willing to do what God says. You can't actually figure things out until you decide that you're going to let him call the shots in your life. That's when it begins to make sense. It opens up all of life. So in light of the brevity of life and how short it is, Solomon is saying, the fear of the Lord is the only response to death. And the frustration. It's the only response. And boiled down, fearing God comes really in light of death. The only things that go on in eternity is the idea of, of God and people. So fearing God is I'm going to love God and I'm going to love people. That's what it's about. Loving God and loving people. That's the beginning when things begin to make sense. So in light, in light of the myths, of the things that we try to control, fearing God means, okay, I don't have all the answers. I can't control the unknown. But God, I'm going to fear you and trust despite the things that I don't know how they're going to work out. I'm going to do what you say in the here and now with what I do know. So I'm not going to ask you, God, for a complete picture of my future. I'm going to be faithful right now in my present. That's the fear of the Lord and the unknown. The fear of the Lord, when you kind of have to say no to what you really want, and you have to say no to your desires and what you think will make you really happy, whether that's a relationship or whether that's pursuing a job that you think will get you the money that you need, but it's going to take you from the things that God says are important. The fear of the Lord is saying, God, I'm going to put your values and you in front of the things that I really want. And I'm going to trust that you're actually going to bring the happiness that I long for. That's what the fear of God is. The fear of God, when we 
deal with power and money and we just want to kind of get people to do things in a certain way. It's recognizing that all we have is God's. The authority He's given me, the money He's given me, He gets to choose how I use that. And I have to decide, am I going to do that in a way that will bless people and advance His kingdom? That's what fearing God is. It's in those choices. The kind of parents we're going to be. The kind of spouses we're going to be. The kind of friends, the kind of roommates. The kind of leaders, the kind of followers. Am I going to get into the Scriptures and keep His commands? Actually, listen to what He has to say and then do what He says. That's the fearing of God and that's the obeying of the commandments. What Solomon is saying is, this is the whole duty. When you do this, the light at the end of the tunnel will bring enough light for you to see how things work. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding the way of life. But it begins on the front end of you trusting God that He actually can lead your life better than you can lead your life. I don't know about you, but that is scary. Every day it's a choice. God, am I going to do what you want? Or am I going to do what I want? And it can kind of hit us on the grand things of life. But you know what it is for me, fearing God sometimes? Is, am I going to serve people? I wake up and I'm tired. And there's kind of one thing I'm thinking. It starts with a C and it's called coffee. That's what I'm really thinking about most mornings. Coffee, get coffee, get coffee, get coffee. Drink coffee, get more coffee. Drink coffee, maybe get more. Then I meet my kids. Hey, Dad, can I get some breakfast? Coffee, coffee, breakfast. What? Coffee, what? Breakfast? You're hungry? But I need coffee. Yeah, Dad, I'm hungry, but I need coffee. But I'm hungry, Dad, but I, I need coffee. That's not what I say to my kids. That's what I think. So sometimes the strategy is like, hold on just a sec. That's the line. Hold on just a second. God, I really need coffee. But they need breakfast. But I really need coffee. And I have to choose. I have to put their interests above mine. My coffee can wait. I can love them. That's what it is. It's in the small things. Fearing God and keeping His commandments. I could put others in front of me. That's what Jesus did. It's in the small things. And as you do that, you find God is not going to rip you off. He's going to take care of you. Do I really think that coffee is going to change the whole outcome of my day or obeying God. It depends on the day, right? Or the coffee blend. But when it comes down to it, when it all boils down, Solomon's saying when it all comes down to it, what are you going to actually do that matters? Are you going to do what God wants you to do? Are you going to do what you want to do? So he's saying, in view of death, Life is a gift. And there's three things that we can do with our life. 
We can spend it on what we want. I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's my life. YOLO. I'm going to spend it on whatever I want. I'm going to waste it. I'm not going to think. I'm just going to act. Whatever feeling I have, that's what I'm going to follow. So you spend it on what you want or you waste it on what you want. Or you can invest it. You can give it to God who will make a return on your life far better than what you can do by yourself. He will make a return on investment of your life that will make such a greater impact than you spending it or wasting it. That's what Solomon's saying. And for all of us, we, we have to choose which one. And you may be a Christ follower and you decided that you want to follow him, but there may be an area that you know you're, you're just spending it or you're wasting it. He's not really calling the shots. You want to do it your own way. And I don't know what that is. I have my own. But we all have those things that we really don't want God to have a say. Because we want the control. And you may not be a Christ follower. You may be investigating Christianity. And you've come and you've heard these messages and you think, well, man, what is life really about? And you may be confused, but this is where it starts. Will you invest your life into the God who can make a return on it far greater than yourself? Will you follow him no matter the cost? Will you let him lead you in each arena of your life? That's investing it. I want to end with a quote that really encouraged me. Uh, This is from Corey Ten Boom, and she was a Christ follower during uh, World War II, and she's Jewish, and she, her family was killed, and she was hunted, and she was in hiding, and she was in a camp, and just faced horrendous circumstances in her life. Many ups and downs, many doubts, many frustrations, a lot of things Solomon was talking about. But she said a statement that I think cuts right to what Solomon is talking about. She says this, The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. Again, Solomon's saying life is short. It's not how long you live. But it's what you give your life to that matters. And that's what investing is. is You're donating your life to God. Here, God, here it is. It is yours. You use it however you want. I want to encourage you, if you've never made that statement to God and you've never given your life over to Him, make that decision today. If you'd like to know more about that, there's a place on your connection card. If you pull that out, if everyone could pull out their connection card. On the back side, uh, there's a place on the right-hand side where you could say, I'm, I'm interested in learning more info about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. As the band comes up, if you've never made that decision you want to today, we would love to give you some information on what that looks like. For those of you that have, and you're kind of just looking at your life, ask God to show you, is, is there anything that you're just kind of wanting to spend it on yourself? Is there an area where he's really not calling the shots? Ask God to show you that. And then there's some next steps that you can take as well that you'll find there on the left-hand side of the connection card. If you want to memorize scripture, if you want to ask certain questions, there's even a blank. There's just something that you think you need to do. You can write that in there. And so I want to encourage you, let, let's make our lives count. Let's invest it and give it to the God who can 
give us a greater return on it than we can by ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the words of Solomon and the conclusions that he made and even just the realness and the rawness of the things that that he had to say. Thank you for the scriptures that we can read that and we can actually learn about life. And God, you've given us minds and you've given us hearts and you've given us energy and you've given us life and it is a gift from you. And in light of how short life is, we have to choose, each of us, how we're going to live it. God, will you show us if there's an area where we just, we do not want to unleash control to you. If there's just something that we are holding on to, in the name of Lord Jesus, God, will you show us? We actually want to do things your way. And God, if we don't, speak to us. Correct our thinking. Help us to give up control. We ask that you'll do this by your mighty power. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.